Let's get into today's message. So we are in the middle of a series uh, that we've been working on for the last few weeks called How to Read the Bible. And so what we've said from the beginning here is that our desire is to get us into a paradigm where we actually understand what the biblical writers are trying to do, trying to communicate for our good. Uh, A lot of times what we do is we'll go into it with our kind of modern Western perspective and it gets really clunky and really confusing. So we have to backtrack a little bit, understand how we are supposed to approach these writings that ultimately lead to truth and understanding. So um, the last two weeks, we've been walking through some really key foundations. So two weeks ago, we talked about how the Bible is both human and divine. So we see that uh, this is something that's come about through the minds, the hands, the history, the experiences of genuine human beings, and yet we believe it brings to us a word from God. We believe that it is inspired by God, and that's why we hold it so close to us. And so that frames up the perspective that we have when we go in and read. Last week, we talked about how it's unified in some really key ways. We talked about the formation, the composition, the narrative arc. It's unified in these really key ways that ultimately leads us to understanding and to wisdom. And so we're gonna keep kind of trekking forward and keep building out this paradigm that we want to have as we go into reading the Bible. So today, what we're talking about is how the Bible is messianic literature, all right? messianic literature, and I know that initially that's not going to make a ton of sense, but we'll build this out uh, for today, but maybe let's set this foundation. So when we say it's messianic literature, what, what we're saying is this is the expectation. These are the assumptions that we should carry as we go into reading the Bible. So like week one, we talked about a, a lot of us look at it as a reference book. So if it is a theological dictionary, we're gonna have certain assumptions and expectations as we go into that. If we think it's a rule book, same exact thing. If we know that it's messianic, then these are the assumptions, the perspectives that we're gonna have going in. Yeah, so messianic. Yeah. Let's break down Messiah yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, this is, this is Messiah language that we're gonna see as a, a thread here that we're wanting to call out. Um, and, uh, you know, as you were explaining that, uh, this is this is definitely going to tie back, you know, and, and and make maybe even more sense to week one, like yeah. you just said, you know, not a reference book, not that textbook. This this helps us see it in the way that helps prevent us from yeah. doing that. But you want to explain Messiah a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. This frames it up. So when we call out the word Messiah, as Christians, let's not get ahead of ourselves because immediately we're like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yep. But let's backtrack because the Hebrew scriptures are ultimately what builds out this foundation, right? So when we talk about the word Messiah, um, this is a really easy definition. It means anointed one. So somebody through whom a blessing is going to come, somebody who is wholly set apart, an anointed one. So originally, we actually see this word coming about in the Old Testament by way of the high priest, So as we go read about the structure of the temple and the sacrificial system, we know that the high priest was the head guy, right? He was the the man, right? Yeah, he's he's the one that back when there was the one that went into the presence of God for the atonement of everyone's sin, this high priest was, was that one. Yeah, so the high priest was called Messiah or anointed one. So you mentioned atonement. That's definitely something that applied to the high priest. Um, Intercession. 
He was one who would stand in the gap between yep. God and, and the people and intercede for their needs. Um, we see that he's responsible for justice. And when we say justice, what we mean is making sure that the unjust are taken care of. Mm -hmm. So the poor and the needy and the over widow and that they're again. taking care yep. of to bring about order and peace. So the high priest was responsible for these really key things. And so he was considered Messiah. Uh, as we carry that forward into the Hebrew scriptures, we then see it applied to the king of Israel. So now they become the anointed one. And the reason is, is because they were to be the representative, the image of God. Uh, now, if you know Genesis 1, that's ringing bells, right? But they were to be the one that ultimately represents who God is to all of the people. And yep. that's why they were called the anointed one. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we kind of see it sprinkled about. And, and really the one consistent theme that we see is that it applies to people who are doing the will of God. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it would include some sort of suffering, some sort of sacrifice that's being made and they're gonna push through to see the will of God come to pass, okay? So that is the, the idea of Messiah throughout the Hebrew scriptures. So a Hebrew understanding would be somebody who does these things, somebody who fulfills these particular roles. That's what Messiah means. Yeah, so you mentioned atonement. We talked about um, interceding on others' behalf. Uh, what else? Justice, order, peace, image of God, doing the will of God. All and of that anointed one was called out. And like you said, as soon as you hear Messiah, we immediately jump to Jesus, right? But there's, this is language that is used throughout. So yeah. just wanna, that's a big point yeah. of emphasis. So the word Messiah originally comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach. And we see that used 39 times throughout the Old Testament, which is to say it's a, it's a common theme. Like these people knew this word very, very well. Um, and then what's interesting is as it travels through history, they eventually translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. So like by the time Jesus and the disciples are around, they're, they're reading oftentimes the Greek translation yeah. of the Hebrew Bible. And so the Hebrew word Mashiach, they're now reading in Greek as Christos, which we know today as Christ. Yeah. So this is their conception of that word. Well, and even the Greek translations, right? of the Old Testament, the Hebrew, right? It, it, the Greek translation of that Messiah term is Christos as well. Yeah, right? so if, if they heard the word Christ or Christos, then everything that we just said is what's coming to mind for them. They're bringing it back to all of these ideas, all of these concepts wrapped up into one. That's important. So that, that kind of lays a big foundation of uh, what we're going to be talking about, this is a theme, this is terminology that is not only specific to Jesus Christ, it's throughout and it's pointing to him, yeah. but it's throughout. Well, well, that's a specifically Christian claim, <laughs> right? That, that Jesus is the one that fulfills these things. Right. So again, that's why we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. The Hebrew scriptures is making a foundation. We come in and say, Jesus is that one. Yes, and... To add to that, this isn't a claim to say that every passage in Scripture is going to point to this very thing specifically, right? Yeah. But every passage is going to be within that theme. Building out the theme. Right. Yeah, yeah, we see that over and over again. It's, it's building out this really important theme, which I think it's important to call that out because... Um, like, we don't want to go in and try to stuff Messiah 
into every single thing and start looking and piecing things, because then we can kind of get ahead of ourselves. But if we allow it to speak for itself, what we're gonna see is the bigger narrative going on is all centered around Messiah. And I know as I've, uh, I'm reading through right now, actually, Old Testament, and to have this paradigm, um, it starts popping up without having to even like dig Dig yeah, and search force, for it, force it, yeah. yeah. It, it's just there. It's like, holy cow, wow, it's yeah. right there in front of me. Um, but I think we do have the tendency to try to reverse engineer things, mm-hmm. and that's kind of pointing back to the textbook stuff. And Well, especially as Christians, because Jesus, right? And so we go through and we're reading the Old Testament, we're like, well, there's Jesus, and is that Jesus? And there's Jesus, and, and, and sometimes we kind of get ahead of ourselves and just let it speak for itself, and it'll build out the proper theme. Yeah, I, I think um, something that's really helpful for me and it's been really coming through of late for me is um, what what do I see as primary? Yeah. So if um, if if I see that the, the theme of messianic literature is primary throughout this this Bible book story that we we are reading this narrative story. Um, if I'm coming from that understanding that this is messianic literature, this is Messiah language that's happening throughout going to something. It's, it's a story that's leading to Christ, as you said, with, for us as Christians. Um, rather than just coming to the book of the Bible itself without that understanding, it's a lot, there's a lot. I mean, that, at Life Group uh, Thursday night, um, someone was like, is there like a smaller Bible? Like it's just big, right? It's, it's intimidating. It's, it's overwhelming, right? It can be very overwhelming. And so if you have no frame of reference that there is a narrative story that's happening throughout, then it just seems like a lot of random wisdom and thoughts and sentences <clears throat> that it just seems like overwhelming. Yeah, well, not only is there a narrative, but what the narrative's about. And this is what we're saying. It's, it's ultimately about Messiah. So let's try to build this out a little yeah. bit, okay? I think we've laid that in front of us. So let's talk about the theme. How does this theme get built out? We, we talked last week a little bit about how the Hebrew scriptures are composed, and we see these repeated themes and designs and ideas, and it's trying to build out a bigger story. So how does this come about when we talk about Messiah? And um, no surprise, but we go all the way back to Genesis 1, right? So Genesis chapter one through chapter three, we really see like the initial theme built out for us. And so we've talked a lot about this as we should, we'll continue to, but here's what we see. Uh, Genesis one opens up, we see creator God who is bringing about peace and order. All right, that's what we see on page one. And as part of this creation, um, he creates human beings called the images of God to represent him. And then he appoints them to rule and reign on his behalf to bring about peace and order, continuing that work that he has begun. And it's cool because like in pages one and two, we see these beautiful images and portraits of humanity and God and coexisting and it's, it's amazing, right? But then we get to page three, we see the first plot twist. And in particular, what we see is this serpent creature who comes in and deceives the human beings, like personified evil and and he's deceiving. And so then what happens is the human beings, this is very important, they choose to trust in their own wisdom Mm -hmm. over and above God's wisdom. 
Yes. It's key, key throughout the entire Hebrew scripture. So they're trusting in themselves. As a result, we see some really obvious consequences of that, okay? But then actually what, what ends this theme is in Genesis 3, specifically verse 15, God says there's gonna come one, a seed of the woman. In other words, there will come a human one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will bite his heel, but he will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, there's coming one who's gonna overcome, mm-hmm. who's gonna overcome personified evil, who's gonna win the victory once and for all. So this theme, in the first three pages, is built yeah. out right there in front of us. Years, we, ago, we years ago, I read this book called Invisible Ink because uh, I'm, I wanted to become you know, better at speaking and better communicator and all that stuff. Well, this book is about how to tell a story effectively. And the whole book essentially is how the story starts at the very beginning. There is something so subtle at the beginning that kind of gives you the end. It yeah. kind of tells it at the beginning, but it's so subtle, most times we miss it. Uh, if you watch pretty much any movie and really pay that. attention to it, um, it, you'll see it, you know, like, oh, especially if you've seen the movie and you yeah. know what's coming. Like, oh, they told me right there yeah. within the first four minutes. Um, our Bible is doing that from the beginning. On steroids. Yes. Like, it's just repeating it over and over again. So here's, here's the theme, okay? God desires to bring about peace and order. We see humans pushing back to the darkness and the chaos, And so he's going to choose one through whom he's going to try to bring about restoration and peace and order. And that becomes our theme. And we see that on replay. Unfortunately, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, what we see at the end of each one of these themes is a failure account, right? In other words, this seed of the woman, it's building up this tension. Okay, is this the one? And then it's like, no, this isn't the one, right? So we see it like uh, uh, within the first few pages, Noah comes about and we, we see it, right? Yep. So Noah... Noah is this righteous one, you know, that, uh, again, he's called out in that way. He's the one that uh, is going to save, right? He's going to um, save his family and lead to, you know, a place of restoration. Uh, and so he leads through the chaotic waters, right, that, that take place on the ark, um, through the waters, and then afterward, there's a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Right, fresh start. So from the beginning, it's dark, it's gloomy, the world's a mess. God's like, this ain't, this isn't working. We gotta we gotta pick someone that can change this thing around. Selects Noah, and and so on. So he leads through the water, chaotic waters. I'm calling that out for a reason. And and then we see that once the waters flush, he's starting all afresh with a new garden. Unfortunately, the story ends and Noah fails, Yes, right? We see a failure arc at the end of his story. And so there's kind of this letdown. Oh, yeah, well. he ends up drunk. He ends up naked. Mm-hmm. Are we back to the Garden of Eden or what are we, t- you back know? Back like- to being naked and ashamed. Yeah. Yep. So we see a reversal there. Um, we move forward to Moses and we see the theme again. So land of corruption, not what God desires. Yep. So he chooses Moses. Moses is gonna take the people, once again, through the chaotic waters onto dry land. So he's gonna bring about rescue and salvation. Mm-hmm. There we go. This is the guy, and then boom, yeah. a failure at yeah. the end, yeah. right? On replay over and over again. In fact, if we just like zoom out and yeah. look at the whole bigger story of the Hebrew scriptures, we see this with the, the people of Israel, right? Moses hurts a little extra though, right? Yeah. Like when, I, when you read that, you're like, oh, but Moses, dang. Yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. he was like, ugh. 
yeah, that one, that one hurts. But we look at the whole story of the people of Israel. This is exactly what happens. Um, chaos, the world is in disorder, so God's going to choose Abraham and his descendants, and they're going to bring about restoration and peace and order. And so we read literally through the whole Old Testament yeah. and we see this storyline. It's like some people, you know, they're doing a pretty good job. And then no, 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 no. But all the way to the end, they get beyond the chaotic waters, beyond the wilderness into the promised land. Yes. And we're like, yes, here it is. This is salvation. This is rescue. Yeah. And then the end of the story is, nope, they end up in exile because they're not obeying God. Yeah, and again, just terminology again, right? To, to clue us all back in how this really cycles over and over again. They cross the waters of the Jordan River. They go into the promised land. Once again, a lot of Garden of Eden term terminology being used with the big cluster of grapes, so on and so forth. So there's so many, you know, tie-ins that it's, it's on loop to yeah. the point where as they keep doing it over and over, you're like, all right, people. We get it. Let's get yeah. it. Yeah. So, so what comes about then uh, throughout the, the Hebrew scriptures is the latter prophets, yeah. in particular, Isaiah comes along. They know this theme very, very well. And so Isaiah now begins to talk about <laughs> there is going to come one who is going to fulfill all of this. Mm -hmm. There's gonna come one who's gonna fulfill not only the prophecies, but this theme that we see over and over again. The snake crusher is on his way. Yeah. And he actually refers to him as the suffering servant. Yes. In other words, um, this isn't gonna be an army general who's gonna come out and wipe people out in blood. And all. No, no, no. This is gonna become one who is humble, who's a servant, who sacrifices for the people. And we, in our humanity, expect that to take place in a way that we would expect it as humans too. So war, warrior, mighty warrior is gonna come and just slay them all. That's our, that's our idea of this savior coming to, yeah, rule and to reign. He's gonna come and wipe out, but that's not what Isaiah is cluing us in on. Yeah, so let's just make this clear. Hebrew scriptures, the theme is there, first three pages. We see it on repeat throughout, throughout, throughout. Prophets come along and they say, there is coming one who's gonna fulfill this. Mm -hmm. And that's really how the Old Testament ends. It's like this big cliffhanger of, okay, there's gonna come somebody who's gonna do this. Yeah, and, and we have tried many, 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 many times with up to this point, right? Like we, we need someone that is different, someone that's greater, because we've had high priest after high priest, king after king, you know, saint after saint, over and over again, you think, you think, is he the one, is he the one, is he the one? No, let down. Yeah. And so we know there's a greater one coming. So we turn to the New Testament, mm -hmm. right? And um, we see this man, Jesus, arrives on the scene. Amen. Now, here's, here's the, the really cool thing. If you know this theme and the language behind this theme, you pay close attention to how the gospel writers talk about Jesus because they are throwing everything at you to show Jesus is this one, like everything they're talking about. So at the beginning of the story, Jesus passes through the chaotic waters safely on the other side through baptism, mm -hmm. right? We see Jesus goes through the wilderness. Yep. He's tempted, but he overcomes. He gets safely on the other side. We fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, mm -hmm. and we see that he's tempted, right? Yep. Um, in fact, we even see serpent language within that. So we, we see a replay to Garden of Eden, right? Mm -hmm. but, but what does Jesus do? Adam and Eve say, my will, my will. Jesus says, not my will, thine be done. Twist the entire story on its head. 
Um, beyond that, they use so much garden language mm-hmm. when they're talking about Jesus, so much temple language, which is a rabbit hole of its own, but it's really important to know who Jesus is. They are throwing everything at us to say Jesus is fulfilling this. Yes. Uh, so that's kind of the overall theme, right? That's the, the overall flow that we see as we walk our way all the way through um, is this theme that happens over and over and over again. So I just want to call back to kind of what I was saying earlier with um, it not being a reference book because there is this theme that's taking place. You know, if we were just reading some book of ours, you know, some random novel book, whatever, they are laying a foundation. They're working through this story that's leading to something. We're not taking paragraph three of chapter two, verse, you know, sentence three, and trying to pluck it out and, and say, what does this specific sentence mean for me? This is, this is a part of a story, a theme that's taking place. Yeah. So ultimately, we see this story fulfilled um, as Jesus goes through death and comes to life on the other end. That's the ultimate culmination, right? He goes through the ultimate chaos and comes out alive on the other side. And so after Jesus' resurrection, we see some really cool stuff happening, right? Jesus is, uh, he makes himself known to his disciples. And, and Jesus is the one that tells us, all of the, the scriptures are about me. All of the scriptures are about Messiah. So us saying that the entire Bible is about Messiah is not a Devin and Dustin thing. That is a specific Jesus claim that he made. Yeah. So we go to Luke 24, We'll read verses 44 through 48. You can highlight these in your notes. But this is what Jesus says. After his resurrection, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So we talked about the threefold nature of the Hebrew scriptures last week. So Jesus is saying, all of that is fulfilled in me. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, what he's saying. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So he's saying everything that you're reading in the Hebrew scriptures is about this. Yeah. So it's not just the prophecies. Yeah. Because a lot of times I think we think about Jesus fulfilling all those prophecies, which is incredible, mind blowing in itself. But it's more than just the prophecies. It happens from the very beginning, uh, like we're calling out. From page one on through, it's not just those prophecies that we're seeing, even though that's typically what we jump to. I would say more importantly, it's the story that he's fulfilling. The whole story of the Hebrew scriptures is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's pretty monumental. So um, we, we understand the word, we understand the themes. I'm curious like maybe an example as you read through the Old Testament where uh, maybe this isn't the exact theme on repeat, but like a story that stands out to you where it's like, okay, that's messianic. Yeah, well, going back to my guy Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, Moses is one that jumps out at me for sure because uh, they get into the, through the waters, from Egypt, through the waters, into the wilderness, and now um, God's instruction comes, right? He's He's... We go to Mount Sinai. Moses is, is going up. He's getting the instruction from God. Comes down. He says, <laughs> he says, don't make any idols, right? 
Don't make any other idols of any other gods. Um, it's, it's all about our God. And, well, and specifically, don't make other images because you guys are the images of God. That, that's already done with. You guys are the images. You don't need to make anything else. Yeah. And so he goes back up, right? Goes back up and God's like, hey, yo, your people, <laughs> they already done lost their mind, right? And so they're breaking, you know, the instruction already given from God, creating idol um, that they are now worshiping and, and looking to make in their own way, taking things into their own hands, you know, trying to create things for their own way. And we see Moses then at that point, Moses is expecting that there must be death that takes place because now we've sinned, we've gone away from your instruction. And so Moses steps in as the intercessor and says, hey, God, take me. Take me instead of them. Yeah. And he steps in and, and he is that intercessor for us in the same way we were talking about uh, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people. That's what Moses did from way back in the wilderness um, when he said to God, listen, take me instead. And of course, God, uh, he, let him, he let him go. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a cool one. I think my favorite one is David and Goliath because David and Goliath may be the most popular story in the Bible. But in particular, I think David and Goliath is one that we like to personalize a lot, right? Like who's my giant and what are my stones and all that stuff. But that is specifically a messianic story. Um, If you're reading through this, pay close attention to how often it uses the word bronze when it speaks of Goliath, when it speaks of the giant. You'll, You'll read it and you're like, why do I care about the bronze this and him carrying the bronze this and bronze and bronze? What, what in the world is going on? Well, in the Hebrew language, um, the word bronze is the exact same Hebrew letters as the word serpent. So the narrator is specifically pointing you back to Goliath representing the ancient serpent, personified evil, Goliath. And so David comes in, he slays the giant, yeah. and then what does he do? What does he do? Cuts off the head of the snake, yes. crushes the head of the snake. So that story is all about Messiah. It's pointing to the seed of the woman through whom the blessing's ultimately gonna come. So you see how they're doing this? Like they're, they're putting into every little story that we have. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and when, when you and I were talking about this um, the other day, uh, we talked about that, and, and you spoke on this last Easter, uh, about the, the three days. Yeah, the third day narrative. Yeah. And, and so we see that once again, you yeah. know, that takes place regularly throughout. Yeah, so even just random themes that they throw out the third day. So on the third day of creation is when um, the, the plants come out of the ground. So we see life coming from the ground. We see a resurrection narrative on the third day. We fast forward to Abraham and Isaac. And it's on the third day, Isaac's supposed to be sacrificed, but there's a ram caught in the thicket. Yes. And now we have atonement for Isaac. Uh, fast forward to Jonah, right? in the belly of the fish for three days. And, and by the end of the three days, comes out safely onto dry land and does the will of God. So we yeah. see even that on repeat and then boom, pointing to Messiah. Yeah. 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 Uh, Jesus was in the grave for three days. Yeah. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, yeah I know. Newsflash. Uh, but, but again, hopefully this is just ringing in your ear of over and over and over again how these themes just keep taking place over and over again, pointing us once again to Jesus Christ, our well, Savior. Yeah. 
So the whole story is messianic. That's, that's the whole point of it. There are other things happening, other messages that we pick up on for sure, but this is what is primary. So I think um, maybe the, the best way to kind of sum this up is to say, the Bible is not about me. And the Bible is not about you. The Bible is about the Messiah. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible is about. But yes. that then has huge implications on who we are, how we live our lives, Yeah, right? Um, Messiah represents all of these things we've been talking about, peace and order and justice and image of God and doing the will of God. And even if you have to suffer for that, then you do it. That now becomes what we look to as how to live life, how to be a true human. That's now what we look to. So that has giant implications on, on us. So I think maybe the best way to say it is the Bible isn't about me. The Bible's about the Messiah, which, which shows us how to be the image of God. Yeah, it has implications for us. Yeah. But again, back to that primary thing. The primary thing is it's about the Messiah. Yeah. And then the implications for us is what he did for us and then how we are to follow in his likeness. Yeah, so that might seem like semantics to you. Well, what we're saying is if you go into reading the Bible and you're like, this is about me, man. This is all about me. Well, you're gonna read it a certain way and understand it a certain way. But if you go through and understand this is about the Messiah, then you're gonna see the ark. You're gonna see the themes. You're gonna see the designs. And then in that, you're gonna see how I respond mm-hmm. in, in light of that. And that's a huge difference, huge difference between how we approach that. Yeah. You know, um, we already glazed over it, but one of the things I really liked is um, how Jesus comes back, right? He's resurrected. And where we see he's walking with these two travelers. There's these two travelers that are leaving, leaving Jerusalem. And they're so confused. They're devastated. Like, man, I thought, once again, I thought this Jesus was the one. Yeah. You know, but, but now he's dead. Here's the failure again. Yeah, here we go again on repeat. Yeah. I really thought he was the one. Well, there's this stranger that joins them in this walk. And he's like, hey, what's going on? You know, what are you guys talking about? And they go on this seven-mile walk that they're going to Emmaus. And um, and, and they, they notice, like, there's something about this stranger, but, like, I don't know what it is exactly. And they're having all these conversations. And, and they're blind to who he is. Mm-hmm. Somehow, some way, they're blind, which takes me back to, once again, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are blinded in, the, in, the, in his ways. So, uh, you know, before the fall, um, they don't notice their nakedness. They, they don't have shame in that. Once they fall, now they're blind to his ways. And, you know, now there's shame that enters the picture. Uh, and so in that same way, uh, these two travelers are blind to who he is in this moment. And as the conversation goes, they get, they finally reach their destination. Jesus is going to carry along, but they say, no, why don't you stay? Why don't you stay? And so he sits with them, dines with them. He breaks bread with them. And as he blesses them with the bread, it says that their eyes are open and they see, they see that it's him. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus. It's the Messiah. He, he is 
the one. He is alive. Yeah. And, and then they run and they go tell others. And, and then Jesus appears there with the rest of the disciples. Yeah. And that's where he says, listen, it's all the law, all the prophets, all the songs, they've been pointing to me all along. I am alive. I am that yeah. one. I am not dead. I am alive. I am the Messiah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is what the Bible is about. This is, this is how we are to read it, how we are to understand it. Now, let me say this. Um, this is potentially kind of a new perspective for, for some of us. And I'm just gonna continue to preach patience here, all right? Because if you've read the, the Bible through a certain lens for a long time, it, it's gonna be a slow shift to begin to see what this is really about and how these themes are on repeat. But just be patient just understand that there's a process in play and keep moving forward in it and let's continue to unite around one another. But um, this is one that you're just gonna have to continue to ponder, continue to meditate on because, um, I mean, we've called out like literally a few of the designs and themes going on, but it is like on steroids as you study deeper and deeper and deeper. This is amazing stuff. So um, hopefully that helps frame us up in how we understand this. Yeah, I, I'm doing, I know I, you know this, but I'm reading um, the Bible through in a different kind of way than I ever have before right now. Um, it's, it's brisk reading. I'm following uh, along with some, some that are here. Um, but it's a 90-day read of the Bible. So it's, it's a lot in a short period of time and it's more brisk reading. It's not the like, let's stop, let's break this down, let's really understand every nook and cranny. It is a brisk reading so that you can see that narrative kind of come to light. And it has, big time. I'm, I'm like, I'm reading stuff, I'm like, how did I not tie these things together before? But as you approach it in this way, I'm telling you, you're going to read stuff. It's going to be so, it's exciting to me. Like yeah. I, I read it and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. Uh, but to have that paradigm that we're talking about, uh, I hope it brings life. I, I think you're going to really, really be reading through and it's going to, it's going to be so much more fun. I mean, it's just amazing when you have that paradigm and you come from that place. Yeah. So we're just gonna keep building out on these foundations. Um, we've still got four more messages to get into to build this out, so plenty more to come. But hopefully, slowly but surely, we're, we're making some progress here. So why don't you stand with us and let's pray.